Yeah, I think one of the most important things is education. Um, you know, I and it, it, it starts back when, when I when I was a police chief, I implemented I implemented a program called financially financially stable, and I might as well have been trying to pull your teeth out because nobody wanted to talk about retirement. Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today it's my privilege to be joined by Jesus Eduardo Campa, better known as Eddie. He was uh, born and raised in El Paso, Texas. And after 27 years of law enforcement, He's decided to retire from public service and he transitioned his experience and his expertise into the private sector as a mentor, a consultant, and a sounding board. I think this is a fantab fantabulous thing to do. Um, he's an internationally and nationally accredited speaker on leadership development, strategic planning, culture change, culture diversity, customer service, community engagement, law enforcement, and security. I think you've got a huge offering to uh, give everyone there. Eddie, welcome to Beyond Retirement. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited um, having a good conversation. And you know what? Uh, retirement life is busier than actually working. I've heard that from a lot of people. So let's, let's start with how you made that transition from 27 years in the public service to working as a consultant. Um, did you take some time off? Or did you just jump right in? No, actually, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a workaholic. So, um, you know, this is actually the second time I retired. I, uh, I retired at, at right at 20 years with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office. I retired as the chief deputy. Um, I retired and then went on to become the chief of police at Hector County in Marshall, Texas. Um, and I did that for about five years. And then I, I thought I was done again. So I said, okay, I'm retired. I'm coming home. I came home, started working on a PhD, opened up my, one of my consulting companies, a security uh, consulting firm and uh, decided that I wasn't done. So Oklahoma took me out there and I became a state director for the, um, the council on law enforcement, education and training for two years. And, and December of December 20th of 2020, I decided I had had enough and it was time to just, call it quits and end uh, uh, the, the chapter of law enforcement and come back and just do whatever it is that I wanted to do on my terms. Oh, that's fabulous. I understand the uh, taking the practice shots at retirement. I did the same thing. <laughs> I retired after 20 years and came right back and did it again. But how do you, uh, how do you transition from working so hard all your life like that, being so busy into being your own boss? Well, you know, it, it was actually a very, uh, I want to say smooth transition because I was, re I was, I was really tired of, of um, 
not living life on my own terms, you know, not uh, having a vision and not being able to move it forward because other people around me didn't understand that vision. Um, you know, in law enforcement, I've always kind of been the outliner, the, the the weirdo because of the way I think and the trajectory that I think. You know, I've been I've been preaching police reform since 1994. So when you have a guy who's about police reform and holding people accountable, uh, a lot of people don't really like that. So it, it was it was a it was a rough 27 years. So I was ready to make that easy transition. Now I'll tell you what was what was really hard was is like like I said, I'm, I'm a workaholic. So basically being tied up all the time um, was, was really hard letting go because I found myself with a lot of free time, which wasn't really free time. It was just, you know, I'm used to doing six or seven things at one time and it went down to doing three things at one time. So I had all this extra time and it took a little bit of time to decompress. I didn't take any time off. I jumped right in. I just continued to go. Um, So I just, I, I'm kind of smoothing it out. I, I, I kind of like, uh, I tell my wife now that I'm living life on the, I'm taking it easy term. And she's like, no, you're not. You're busier than most people. Like, oh. <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. And, you know, it, it keeps me young and it keeps me moving forward. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they're like, you're 48 years old and you're retired twice. I'm like, yeah, well, what can I say? But only sort of retired because you're really right. working hard still. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I've got two companies that I run and, you know, trying to finish up my PhD. So that's not really being retired, I guess. But I guess for me, anyway, the the idea of retired, what it means is you're doing the work you want to do, not the work you have to do. Exactly. Like I said, now I'm doing things on my terms, uh, you know, yeah. being your own boss, uh, being in the private sector. Um, it's your vision. It's your company. You got nobody to blame if things don't work out other than yourself. So that's that's a real positive thing. And my daughter just keeps walking back and forth behind me there. So. <laughs> Not a problem. It's a factor of life, right? Right, right. Welcome to the world of Zoom. (laughs) So Eddie, do you think that people should be looking for some sort of transition work to uh, help them get out make the make the transition from their current job to what retirement is you know you know absolutely and and here and i'm sure it's like this in in any in any in any sector but the one thing that 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 uh is, is common knowledge in, in law enforcement for police officers you know police officers they take on this identity you know it's like it's almost like this is who i am the badge the gun the power the control the authority that's who i am and when they retire and it's and it's all kind of stripped away um a lot of a lot of people have a hard time letting go of that, and you know the life expectancy for a retired police officer is five years, you know three to five wow. years, uh, because all of a sudden you know they're no longer, and like I said I'm sure it's like this with with a lot of industries, but you know as a police officer you know you go to your shift briefings, you have your choir practices, you have your 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 bonding, your family. Once you leave, you're, you're gone, and, and and that's the funny thing I always tell people is like look man. You, you can you can work your 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 tail off for 25 30 35 years and you may be the most important person there 60 days after you're gone they're gonna say who yep <clears throat> and, that's right and, and and if you don't have something lined up ready to go you're just gonna make yourself a life miserable you know I've, I've actually had a lot of people when I first left the sheriff's office you know they used to tell me they're like so there is life after the sheriff's office I'm like <laughs> uh, yeah bro like a great life, <laughs> you know, and then, and then, you know, I left, but I left to be still to continue my career path, my growth you know, as, as a chief of police. And after the second time, when I thought I was done, I was just like, you know, 
this is who I am because I love being a public servant, but this is not what I want to be anymore, you know? And I've always had an entrepreneur mindset. You know, I've owned several businesses in the past. Uh, I like working for myself. I like making my own decisions. I don't like being told what to do all the time. And, and you know, and, and we've got it in a world in law enforcement where we basically have to please everybody. And yeah. if you're trying yeah, to make impossible. everybody happy, yeah, if you're trying to make everybody happy, uh, you're not going to make yourself happy. So I, I do recommend that, look, if you're nearing the age of retirement or your time frame of retirement, pick up a hobby, pick up something you want to do. Uh, you know, maybe being simple as, as writing a book. I mean, you know, I've got a book coming out in July. I mean, it's, 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 it's just whatever you want to do, enjoy it, you know, because now it's your time. Exactly. And it's, it's so true what you said. People identify with whatever it is, whatever profession they've got. And as soon as they step away from that, so many of them just have no idea what to call themselves, what to say they do. And, and that's heartbreaking to see people who, who feel lost because they don't have an identity of their own. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's, I see it all the time. I mean, I've got, you know, I have a neighbor. Uh, he's been, uh, he's been in law enforcement uh, in the same agency that I was with. Uh, I left at 20. He's going on his year 32. And we were talking the other day and he's all, I'm just afraid to leave. I'm like, afraid to leave. Why? So what am I going to do? I'm like, I don't know. What do you like to do? I like being a cop. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I said, retire and go be a cop somewhere else. And I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> but but he he's really at that stage to where he he is. He's a cop. That's what he is. He, and, yeah. and you take that away from him. He, he has no idea what he is anymore. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing now. You left your law enforcement job, but you haven't, that hasn't gone out of you. Obviously, you're still trying to make a difference. Right. So, you know, uh, I, I've had a, I've had a, I've had a company known as uh, America's best strategic security group for, I don't know, uh, it's, it's probably been in business for at least 10, 10 or 12 years. Formally, it's only been in business since uh, 2017. And, uh, you know, we do security consulting, uh, security surveys, we do personal protection, we provide security guards and things like that. And then in 20, 2018, I started up uh, because I, I, I didn't like the direction leadership was headed in. I, I opened up a, um, a, a company called Leading Through Adversity. And what Leading Through Adversity does is it kind of helps teach you and navigate you onto the platform that nobody ever talks about, about leadership. You know, uh, we, we've gotten to a point where, you know, I, I get it when you're in a customer service environment, you know, you always say the customer is always right. Well, the customer is always right until the customer is wrong, you know, <laughs> and, and you can't run your business um, being afraid of making tough decisions that may affect the customer. I mean, at the end of the line, at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line. And, and that's what was going on with leadership. I started seeing that a lot of leaders were being torn apart between doing what the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do or doing the right thing because it's the popular thing to do and I don't want to lose my job and I'm afraid yeah. of upsetting anybody and, and oh my God, culture change and oh my God, this and oh my God, that. It's like, hey, look, you became a leader. You're in leadership roles because you're the one who's going to make the tough decisions. And at the end of the day, whether you get fired or you stay or reprimanded, as long as you did the right thing because it's the right thing to do, then that's what you got to do. You know, right. and, and, and I think that uh, leadership has gotten so uh, watered down lately with people's perception of what leadership is. So leading through adversity, what we do 
is we mentor you, we coach you, we provide webinars and seminars, we provide um, you know one-on-one -on -one calls and seminars, and it was going really good. It was going really awesome. I mean, I was, uh, I think in 2019, I must have visited something like I think I did like 111 um, uh, keynote speaks, uh, speaking engagements, and and seminars. Wow. And we were really excited. And unfortunately, this little thing, uh, this little pandemic thing that uh, seemed to cause a nuisance uh, came up and really kicked us in the butt. Yep. So we're, gear <laughs> we're gearing up again, trying to get that thing rolling again. And, um, you know, we, we've done a really good job with our with our web based program. But I just I think it's um, more important to get back to that one on one base. Yeah. <clears throat> Getting back in in person is really important, I think. I mean, you can do one-on-one -on -one by Zoom as well, but it's just not the same as being right, right there. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so that that's does that's that's what I'm doing now in retirement. I, I also, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm working on my PhD. I'm in my dissertation phase. Hopefully, I'll have that done by March of next year. Um, we're at that point in the PhD where it's like, hey, you're on your own. You know, take as much time as you need. Do whatever. Well, I kind of taken that to that to <laughs> create as I like, take as much time as I need. Yeah, okay, I'll do it later. So now I got to get back on that. And then, of course, um, just finished writing a book uh, that comes out July 4th. It's called Unmasking Leadership, What They Don't Tell You About Leading. And it goes hand in hand with our Leading Through Adversity uh, campaign. Sounds really interesting. Um, do, you, do you take anyone into Leading Through Adversity? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've got right now, right now we've got about uh, 62 clients everything from brand new entrepreneurs to a couple of CEOs, vice presidents. Um, I've got about 17 police chiefs from around the country um, that, uh, you know, we get together and we kind of just bounce off ideas. We brainstorm, uh, you know, they get an inspirational every morning. They, they wake up to an inspirational email, you know, on leadership. Uh, they've got access to, to give me a phone call. Uh, one of the things that I discovered when I was, was a police chief is that, a lot of the times I had, I had to make a decision or I wanted to implement a new program or community-based program that I knew my officers weren't going to understand. I knew they weren't ready for the change because there's, there's two things cops hate and that's change in the way things are. So <laughs> um, everything just stays the same. So sometimes I needed somebody to talk to that wasn't within my realm because if I talked to my number two guy, he was just going to tell me what I wanted to hear because yeah, boss, I don't want you to fire me. I'm like, dude, really? Yeah. And then number three, if I told him, then he was going to be the guy that was going to go leak it to everybody else. And then everybody, then, you know, so it was, so you always needed that sounding board. So that's what we became, you know, we became a sounding board. So we get a lot of, matter of fact, we have a couple of superintendent, brand new superintendents of schools that are, that are our, our, our clients of ours that will call us and say, Hey, look, and we got no fight in the game and we got, we, we got no, there's, I mean, yeah. Hey, you want to do it? Let me tell you why I think it's going to work. Let me tell you why I don't think it's going to work. Uh, I can compare it to, to this strategy that I did. And this is what I did. Uh, how about you try this? And, and, and it gives, it gives them the opportunity to sound it off on to someone that has really no skin in the game other than watching them succeed. So they know they're going to get the truth. I was thinking about something and I've lost my train of thought on that one. <clears throat> um, you, uh, you talk a little bit about, or you mentioned a couple of times, uh, culture diversity, um, definitely a big topic with law enforcement. Do you find that it's a big topic just in general in your leadership? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that um, 
in my 20 years in El Paso, El Paso is a very diverse community. You know, we've got high social economics to the very lowest social economics. We got highly educated to the least educated. We, I mean, we're just we're just a very diverse community. So we're very accepting, very open uh, city, I guess. You know, and I had never really been uh, exposed to racism and racial and culture issues until I left to become chief of police of an East Texas town um that I went to for three years and I was brought in to change the culture and I always joke about it that the reason they hired me is that they couldn't hire a Caucasian because of the things that they had just gone through uh because of the racial issues they were never going to hire a, an African-American so they settled for the little caramel Mexican guy to come in and kind of <laughs> fix things you know so you know we came in in 2014 to a very racially divided community which is what caused us to create well and I say we I, I don't know why I always say we, I, I just like combining people, even though it was actually me. Um, I, I created a program called No Colors, No Labels, which was a program uh, designed to remove the preconceived notion that the police, that the community had that the police were racially motivated. And through that No Colors program was a grassroots program. And, and we try to break down the barriers by building relationships. And, and you know, we had these um, cultural awareness meals because people, the only reason people are racist is because they don't know, they fear what they don't know. And once you yeah. get to know each other and you realize that you and me, as, as, as different as we look, we have more in common than anybody else on God's green earth. You know, we all have, we have two eyes, we have a nose, we have a mouth, we bleed, we bleed red, we have hearts, we have lungs. Okay, we have a different ancestry. You're, you're, you're not, you, 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 you know, while we may be generational Americans, we, you know, our ancestry comes from here, from there, from there, from here. We're all immigrants at some point, but we're just all afraid to accept it and deal with the fact that, you know what, we're all what makes up America. We're all what makes up the world, right? So um, in general, I really did feel it. Uh, I think that uh, I, I didn't feel it because of where I was. I was so isolated until I left that now I was the outsider. I was the first minority police chief uh, in, in, in a majority city where everybody was Caucasian. Yeah, the African-Americans were looked at as third rate generation. I mean, I had never heard the N word thrown around so much in my entire life when I got there. I mean, I was even referred to as the greasy Mexican, the spick, the drug lord. I was like, yeah, what in God's green earth is going on here? And, and I think what happened and, and this goes back to leadership, you know, um, people have diluted what leadership is. And I don't want to get into politics, uh, whether whatever side you're on this side or that side. But, you know, in, I guess, what was it, 20, 2016, 2017, whatever, uh, the tide turned. And, uh, you know, we had a candidate that, that was open, that talked about openly about racism and, and, and it, it brought that monster out. But we had done a good job of hiding the monster. You know, it's kind of like it was there, but we kind of like, and he made it okay to where it was okay to come out again. And all the work we had done through civil rights and everything that we'd done, all of a sudden took a 20 year turn. <laughs> and now we're behind the curveball trying to fight it. And I used to think it was in the police world because I'm associated in the police world. So I just thought it was with us. But in reality, now in the private sector, you start seeing it. And, and, and it's not just, you know, and, it, and it's just not a cultural issue against minorities. It's a cultural issue with everybody because minorities don't like Caucasians. Caucasians don't like minorities. African-Americans don't like Hispanics. I mean, it's everybody has this preconceived notion as to why we don't like each other. 
But when it's time to say why we really don't, everybody goes, uh, well, I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that unfortunately it's reared its ugly head again. It's everywhere. Um, and and we, we have to admit it. You know, everybody says, oh, that's not a real thing. Okay. Well, COVID's not a real thing. You know, some people say, oh, this isn't a real thing. That's not a real thing. Everything is open to interpretation. Everybody is stuck on, you know, my opinion is the only one that matters. And everybody seems to have forgotten about what's important, the facts, you know, the facts, science, everything. It's there. The proof is, is there. So that's, that's one of the things that has me real concerned, you know, for our future generations is that, that, you know, we took a 20, 30 year spin back and now we got to figure out how to put that ugly monster back to bed because we're never going to get rid of it. Probably not. Hopefully, hopefully we can make some changes though, as, uh, as time goes on. One of the things that you mentioned, um, everybody's afraid of what they don't know. And that's a that's a pretty common thread, pretty common idea everywhere. So in terms of people making their way to retirement and the idea that um, like your friend in, in law enforcement who doesn't want to retire because he doesn't know what he's going to do, what do you think that we can do as a as a community, as a, as a group of people heading towards retirement to make it more obvious that it's not really something to be afraid of. Yeah. I think one of the most important things is education. Um, you know, I, and it, it starts back when, when I, when I was a police chief, I implemented, I implemented a program called financially, financially stable. And I might as well have been trying to pull your teeth out because <laughs> Nobody wanted to talk about retirement yet. You know, I can, I can tell you, I can think back to my first day as a rookie uh, out on the streets thinking that I was going to be a cop for the rest of my life. You know, that I was never going to get to retirement age. Well, here I am. And if you don't have a plan, if you don't have, you know, some people, you, you know, especially like young officers, you tell them, Hey, you know what? Take a hundred dollars invested into a 401k, invested into a diversified account, invested in, into something, every paycheck, you know, you get 26 paychecks, that's $2,600, you know, from day one to 20 to 30 years from now, you'll be sitting on a beautiful nest day. I don't want to talk about that. That's okay for now. And, and I think that's the main issue that we miss is the education part. And I think it starts back all the way into education. I mean, you know, your, 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 your high school education, we, I get it. History, math, all this stuff is important, but we really start need to teaching people life skills so yeah. that they can be prepared when they come out to the real world. And then when they go into their second life of retirement, you know, and, and it's all about education. Some people are afraid to retire because they don't have that nest egg, you know, but then what is enough of a nest egg? I mean, you think about it nowadays, everyone's like, oh, I wish I had a million dollars. Why? You'll be broken. You'll be broken six years, <laughs> especially yeah. if you don't know how to take care of that money. A million dollars ain't anything now, you know? Um, not that I have a million dollars either, so I don't know, but, um, you know, it, it's just all about education. We got to get, we, we, we got to get our community educated about retirement. Just, just like as much time as we spend on harping on education, you know, we, we've spent a lifetime telling everybody, you got to go to college, you got to get a bachelor's, you got to get a master's, you got to get a PhD, you got to go to school, you got to go to school. And if you look at it now, some of the most popular wealthy people are, are people who don't even have a college degree, are influencers on social media, are social media gurus, and they're building multi-million dollar businesses on a social media platform. Yet 
you stop and you look at it, you know, you try to get any freight if you're if you're like, you know, a logistics or a grocer or anything like that, any freight moving, you can't find a truck driver to move your load. And everyone's going, why are the prices going up? Well, because now I have to pay a truck driver 60 cents a mile instead of 30 cents a mile because they're so limited and I can't find any. And, you know, one of the things that our educational system has refused to do is to adapt in, to, the, to, to the times of change, you know, uh, like right now, trades, I mean, welders, plumbers, uh, solar people, uh, we're in such dire need and the demand is so high but yet we still keep harping on traditional education. And, and I can say that because I'm working on a PhD. I thought to me, I'm one of that guys, oh, look, traditional education is going to get you far. Well, you know what? If I knew how to weld, I wouldn't be paying that guy who's welding my fence back together. And almost, I think it equates to like $70 an hour for him to do what he's doing for me. And I'm like, man, if I just know how to go, bzz, 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 I could have done it myself. You know? So yeah, it's all about education. I guess, <clears throat> excuse me. Things like uh, adulting 101 would have been a good class to get started somewhere in school yeah. so that, you know, yeah. they start teaching us those life skills and how to plan for the future instead of just get an education, get a job and do it for 40 years. Well, you know, I remember I remember being in high school and I, and I, and I, I took a home economics course where they showed me how to balance a checkbook. Uh, I think I even learned how to sew a button on a shirt. I mean, it was just, it was, uh, it was life skills for an adult, you know, for when you yep. became one. Well, that's the thing of the past. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't do that anymore. Not and, exactly. You know, I, I found it kind of strange when, when my older son, who's now 22, you know, I asked him, I said, Hey, I need you to sign this form. And he prints his name and I, and I really lost it with him. I'm like, I said, sign. He says, that's how I sign. I said, do you not know how to curse? He's like, dad, they never taught us that. Yep, exactly. And, and, and then my middle son, same thing. I got mad at him because he didn't know how he, he doesn't know how to sign. And I'm like, so I guess no one's going to be able to read the constitution of the United States anymore at some point. <laughs> yep. That's uh, it's amazing what they, uh, what they don't learn now. And yet you can plunk a four-year-old in front of a computer and they can do everything. Yeah, I mean, they could, they could basically hack into the Pentagon without, <laughs> without even knowing like, what the heck did you just do. So, so yeah, but I think you have to have a plan for retirement. You got to be looking forward to it because it sneaks up on you before you know it and it's, it's here. And, exactly. And if you don't know, if you don't have a... If, I look at it this way. Every, every time I took a job somewhere... You know, I mean, other than my first career, which I knew I was going to, you know, even even in my first career, I always said, I'm not staying here more than 20 years. I need 20 years to retire. I'm going to stay yeah. 20 years and I'm going to exit. Well, I prepared myself. I got my bachelor's. I got my master's. I prepared myself. I moved up the ranks. I knew that I was going to be able to exit out and take on to a new transition as a chief. And, you know, I'd always been an entrepreneur. So I always had that behind me. You know, I've, I've owned Prior to this, I've owned two different restaurants. I owned an independent wrestling company. Um, so I, I always knew that there was something else other than just being a cop for me. But I had an exit strategy. I knew what I was going to do. And a lot of people don't do that. And, and that's where they get tied up. Yeah, I think that's the key. I was just speaking to someone yesterday, actually, <clears throat> excuse me, who said uh, that most entrepreneurs don't have an exit strategy. They they don't plan for retirement. They just kind of think whatever they're doing is going to take them through forever. And it's just not really going to be that way. Yep. So um, it's been great talking with you. I think, uh, I think we'll wrap it up uh, 
shortly. You mentioned you've got a book uh, coming out in July. So at this point, I guess it's on the shelf somewhere, Unmasking Leadership. Yes, yeah, so July 4th. I don't know when the show will air, but it'll come out July 4th, the book. Uh, it'll be on the shelves on uh, Amazon, um, uh, books, book, book, uh, oh my God, Barnes and Noble, Booksy. Uh, of course, you'll also be able to order it off my website, jesusericampa.com. If you do that, uh, you'll get a hardcover copy for only $16. If you order it off wow. of my website, it'll be autographed and shipped to you, shipping's included. Um, but I think I think it's a really good learning opportunity. I know a lot of people are probably going to say, well, who's this Jesus Ericampa dude that's going to write a book and tell me about leadership? Well, yeah, you're right. Who am I? But I think that if you actually read it and take the time to take the lessons that I've learned, a lot of people, what the book says is what a lot of people are afraid of saying. And, and it just it just gives you a new glimpse into what to expect if you're going to be a leader. Perfect. And I think that's probably something a lot of people need to see. Yep. Yeah. And you've got a, you mentioned you've got a couple of web- websites here, jesuseddicampa.com. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then leading through adversity.com uh, leading through adversity you'll find you know our services what we do our programs our different programs that we do our different mentoring um, you know one of the things that we do that we you know and the, here's a funny thing is when I first threw it up there everybody thought I was insane because everyone's like no one's gonna no one's gonna pay for you to do this and it's like well I wish I wish I had had that service. So I'm going to put it out there. And we we're just surprised that this is it's our number one selling service, which is um, it's a uh, interview panel, uh, basically. And and I'll tell you what, a lot of police chiefs and superintendents have taken um, uh, have used have taken advantage of the program. Basically, what we do is, you know, if you're if you're a, a chief of police or candidate who's applying for a chief of police position somewhere, we we do it through Zoom now, obviously, but uh, we'll set up. You know, there, there's like maybe uh, six different people in the interview panel, one acting as a city manager, the mayor, or city representative, a community member. And then we put you through the gauntlet, you know, ask you the questions that you're going to probably be asked during that interview. And this way you have the opportunity to polish it up and this, this and that. And we have the opportunity to tell you, look, you might not want to say that. <laughs> you might want to put it in. I understand what you're saying, but you might want to put it this way. And through our program, we have successfully hired, we have successfully had uh, two school superintendents become superintendents because of our program. And uh, in the year that we've been doing it, year and a half, we've got five police chiefs that have actually been hired on because of because they they, took, they, they went through our program. So we're we're really proud of that. Wow, that's fabulous. And I'm yeah, sure I mean, it's something that people would love. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and it's really awesome because it's a practice. It's practice. I mean, you, you get to. Exactly. I've been a chief of police twice. I've been a state director. I've been a chief deputy. So I know what they're going to ask. I know the questions I want to hear. Uh, one of the individuals just happened to be a former mayor, so he knows what he's going to ask. Uh, we've been lucky enough to be able to have a couple of uh, actual uh, city managers sit on the, on the interview panel. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a great resource for, for a lot of people, you know. Perfect. Well, thanks very much, Eddie. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And I think you've probably uh, helped a lot of people along the way. And you've helped a lot of our listeners today. Awesome. Well, whatever I can do, if you ever need me anything, jesuseadicampa.com uh, or Leading Through Adversity, there's a contact us. If there's anything we can do for you, just let us know. Perfect. Thanks very much. Awesome. Thank you. 
And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. To check out the video interviews, please go to my YouTube channel at bit.ly forward slash beyond retirement. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash beyond retirement. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes.